Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, But in this series, here's what I hope. After listening to this entire series, uh, which is going to be about five weeks, uh, whether you come, whether you listen online, listen on the radio, whatever. But I, the hope is that after listening, that every single person is able to fully embrace uh, the call that God has on their life without fear of either responding to God's call, whether it be to be a Christian, uh, to go share the gospel with someone, uh, to do whatever, maybe to come on stage and sing. As you see, we have a lot of empty space. So if God's putting it on your heart to come up here and sing, feel free. And if you're afraid... Maybe this will help remove that. But uh, fear, big aspect in our culture, especially in our Christian culture. You don't have to raise your hand, uh, but think about this. How many people have ever, maybe just think internally, ever been afraid to pray out loud? Whether it be in a restaurant or school, maybe at work, uh, cafeteria or whatever. Uh, A lot of people are afraid to do that because they they feel like uh, they'll be judged or they'll end up in a lawsuit or whatever the case is, because now it's gotten pretty wild. Uh, So a lot of people are afraid to pray out loud, or uh, some people are afraid to invite people to a Sunday celebration. And it's a common study. You can Google this. I forget the exact number, but like 60, 70% of people said, yeah, I would go try a church if somebody asked me. And yet, a lot of people just aren't asking. Now, flip side of that is, Some of us have asked a lot of people, and they said no, they've never shown up. That's okay. That's okay. But a lot of people are afraid to invite someone because, I don't know, maybe they feel like they'll be judged, uh, they're infringing on them, or or who knows. But a lot of people are afraid of that. And, of course, a lot of people are afraid to just share the gospel to to their neighbor or friend. Now, I'm not talking about street evangelism. I'm talking about going up to someone that you know maybe that you work with, a fellow student, coworker, whatever the case is, and maybe as God leads you to sharing the gospel with them as God opens the doorway. Uh, now, fear throughout the Bible, right? It's throughout the Bible. And I want to look at just a couple of things real quick before we get into the meat of this. First time that we see fear in the Bible is uh, in Genesis chapter 9. And it's not in the way that we think. It's in Genesis chapter 9, just some background. This is after the whole Noah's Ark. Uh, there's been a flood Noah has been, and his family, on a boat. You really got to call it a ship because it's bigger than a boat. On a ship for over a year with a bunch of animals, probably smells bad, all that kind of stuff. They finally come out, and in verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, this is what God says. God blessed Noah and his sons. He said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Here's, here's your mission. Here's your purpose. And he also says this, the fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth, all the birds in the sky, and every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. God is basically saying this. He says, hey, you're now off the boat. I want you to go and do all this. Now, a little background. Before this, all of those animals, he, uh, mankind, leading back to Adam, was supposed to have dominion over. That's what we told Adam, right? You're supposed to have dominion over all the animals, Uh, Adam even named all the animals. Now we're several hundred years later, actually about a thousand years later, uh, 1,657 years later, almost to be exact. And God's bringing them off. And he says, now it's not that you're going to have dominion over these animals because of sin. 
says, the fear and dread of you is going to fall on them. And a lot of people have taken this to mean that, oh, that they're going to fear us, we're going to be in charge of them. No, we lost that because of sin. This wasn't, you're going to have dominion over them. This is going to be, they're going to be afraid of you. And what do animals do when they're afraid of people? They attack and they bite. No longer that relationship where you guys were hanging out on the boats and you could lay down against the lion and read a book or nothing, none of that anymore. Now, any animals, they're going to be afraid of you. And he says, but they're all given into your hands, and that was for food. But then the next time, so that word fear, stark fear, they were afraid of us, made them want to attack. The next time uh, that we see it in a different context, not the next time, but in the first time in the New Testament, is when Joseph is about to be, and you'll hear all about this at Christmas, Joseph, he, he was supposed to be married to Mary, but she was pregnant via the Holy Spirit. But just like most of us, if the person you're about to marry is like, I'm pregnant via the Holy Spirit, you're kind of not buying that. So Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. That was a big deal in those days because they were considered married except for the ceremony. Like paperwork had already been done. Like here, when I do a marriage, I have to, you know, and I, I, I do this, and yeah, I just, I was like, you've got to assign someone at the wedding ceremony, who, once you guys are walking down the aisle, comes up to me and says, Floyd, sign the paperwork. Because I have forgotten in the past. And people have walked away. And I've had to call them before they got on the plane and said, hey, I need to sign that paperwork because you're not legally married yet until there's a signature. Here, totally different. Everything was already done except for the ceremony. They were legally considered married. The ceremony is what made it married in God's sight. So where it says put her away privately, some, some versions say he was going to divorce her because he had to put an end to that legal obligation. And here's, here's why he did it. It says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And there's a reason I put it in the King James Version. I know it's weird. We're going to spend a little bit of time in King James this morning. It's because most other versions say, don't be afraid. But the actual word, fear not, is the word fear, where we get the word phobias, like fear of flying. Uh, some people have, like me, fear of bugs, fear of heights. Me also, I have quite a few fears. But um, the whole word fear is phobia. So in that language, it was literally don't have a phobia. And his fear wasn't like he was afraid of her, she's going to hurt me. It was a fear of what other people are going to think. If I marry this woman, and she's going around saying, yeah, I'm pregnant, we haven't been married, but it's from the Holy Spirit. Here's what people are going to think of me. They're going to think less of me. And he was a just man because he was thinking, they're going to think less of her. And how many people, uh, think about this, how many people uh, think that there are opportunities Situations like that where people have either fear of what people think or fear about um, maybe failure. Or here's a big one, fear about what the enemy, Satan, will do if I step out and try to do this thing in my own strength. Lots of people have fear about what other people think. Um, lots of people have fear about failing if I step out and do what God's called me to do. And here's, here's, here's one of the biggest Fears, and it's just throughout the Bible that people had. And it wasn't fear of what other people think. It wasn't 
fear of failure. It wasn't even fear of the enemy, like the enemy of God. God's calling me to do something. Satan's going to attack me. The biggest fear that people had, we're going to read about right here, uh, book of Exodus. And, and you guys remember, how many of you saw Ten Commandments? Uh, Charlton Heston, still best one ever made. Awesome. Not exactly biblical, based on the Bible. Great. Uh, but here, uh, Moses now is being called by God. God says, hey, here's what I want you to do. And just to give you some background, he says, I'm going to send you to Egypt, and you're going to tell the Israelite people, I know you're in slavery, I know you're in bondage, but I have come, this is Moses being to the Israelites, I have come because God sent me to set all of you free. Right? And God tells Moses, he says, hey, just in case they don't believe you, I'm going to give you some miracles. First one is, you're going to be able to drop your staff, and it's going to turn into a snake, and that would be really cool if instead of just dropping the mic, you drop the mic, turn it into a snake. Whole other thing. But you're going to drop your staff, it's going to turn into a snake. The other one is, you're going to be able to put your hand in your coat. When you pull it out, it's going to change to leprosy. And then when you put it back in again, it's going to be like normal. So that they know that you were sent by God, and that I as God have like authority over these things. And then he says this, and it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river, pour it upon a dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. So he said, hey, if they don't believe either one of those miracles, here's the next one, and this did not look as good in the movies because it was 19, whenever that was made, 60-something, so they didn't have all the CGI. But uh, when the whole river turned to blood, but it was really cool, when the guy, I think it was a servant who was standing there, and he poured out water, and as the water started coming out, it turned to blood, and it was like, ah, he dropped it. It was cool. He said this, in case they don't believe the other two miracles. This is another miracle, which was profound because the, the Nile was, like, worshipped because it provided for their crops, provided water, provided everything. It was pretty much their source of living, so there was a god of the Nile, and it was worshipped. But if Moses showed, hey, God has sent me, and look, God has authority even over this false god. That'd be huge. They would listen to him. Here is his response. He says, I'm going to show you this. Uh, the river's going to become blood upon dry land. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, which means up to now, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. So I'm not eloquent. I, I never was before. And even now, while you've been talking to me, God, I'm not eloquent. Here's his response. But I, slow of speech and slow of tongue. That phrase, but I, appears a lot in the Bible. That concept, but I, appears time and time again when God calls people and he says, hey, I want you to go do this, I want you to go do that. It's not like I'm afraid of what people are going to say. It's not like I'm afraid they won't listen. It's but I. I don't, I don't have the capability. And, and, and some of these, just really quick, some of these people, how many remember Abraham? Abraham uh, was married to Sarah, and God said, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your home. I'm going to take you to a land, and I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. You have no children now, but I'm going to make you, you're going to have so many descendants, more than the sand on the sea, and all of your descendants are going to be the people that the entire world looks to to say there is evidence that God is with us. He says, I'm going to do that through you, Abraham. And Abraham said, but I'm too old. I'm, I'm too old to have a baby. Truth be told, Sarah probably said, yeah, he is too old. But he said, I'm too old to have a baby, 
right? And then I don't know if you guys remember Gideon uh, during the time of the judges. God came to Gideon because the uh, other nations had come in. And God said, hey, Gideon, mighty warrior, I'm going to call you and you're going to go and you're going to free my people. You're going to defeat this foreign enemy. And Gideon said, but I'm the least of my clan. I'm from the, the smallest town in the smallest city in the smallest state. How can I do anything? And then Esther, Esther uh, 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 was queen, and her uncle Malachi, who had raised her, said, hey, there's been a legal decree to commit genocide and slaughter all of the Jews, but you're the queen. Go to the king and say, don't do that thing. That's all you have to do. And she said, but I haven't been called into his office. There's a, there's a law that says I, I can't go see him and I can't do it, right? And over and over and over again, people have the opportunity to do amazing things for God, and then they say, but I can't. And this last one, Peter, uh, when Peter was fishing on the boat, early in the ministry of Jesus, and got, got it, uh, uh, Peter, Jesus had just finished, like, uh, ministering and speaking to all this, you know, all these people all around. And he did it by, instead of, he didn't have a microphone, so he couldn't drop it, but he got into a boat. He set out on the water, and the natural water became like uh, an echo chamber, so to speak, so that it amplified his voice so all these people could hear. And then when he was done, he said, hey, Peter, why don't you let down your nets, because Peter was a fisherman, on the other side of the boat, and I'm going to do a miracle through you that's going to, like, blow your mind. And Peter said, but I'm tired. I've been fishing all night. My, my shoes are tired. I just finished third shift. I don't, do I got to do this? Can't you get somebody? I already let you use my boat for free. In my head, it was a whiny voice. But that, that's what Peter said, but I. That, that was the, the, the response time and time again when God called people or people had an opportunity to do something for God, it was but I, but I, but I, but I, but I. And in each of these instances, every single one of those people gave an excuse why they couldn't proceed with God's plan. And in each of these instances, God gave them a response on why they could. Because every time they said, hey, I'm afraid I can't do this, God gave them the ability to overcome their fear. I mean, their reason was, I don't have the ability to do what you're calling me to do. And God's response was, uh, what I'm about to show you, going back to uh, this account in Exodus with Moses, and again, God said, hey, Moses, go and, and free my people, and I'm going to you know, equip you, and I'm going to show you what to do, and, and, and I'm going like, to give you these miracles. And even if they don't believe those miracles, I'm going to give you this other earth-breaking miracle. And Moses said, but I am slow of speech, and I'm slow of tongue. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. God's response to, hey, but I can't do this, is, but God is able. Now, really quick, just let me back up for a minute, because in talking to other people about this, they're like, are you telling me that God makes people dumb or God makes people deaf? That's not what the language means. It means God has authority over it, because God has made man which is why throughout the New Testament you see Jesus healing people that were dumb and blind and couldn't see and couldn't speak and couldn't walk. 
But God's response is, hey, I'm the one who, who, who has authority over this. So when you say, but I, I can't, God says, but I'm God and I can. Right? The answer to but I is always but God. God is always able to overcome our inabilities. Let me, let me walk through just another passage of scripture really quickly. And this is, and some of you guys may remember this about Peter um, being called out of the boat to walk on water. And, and just some background before we get into this. Uh, this happens on what's called the Sea of Galilee. And we think the sea, uh, it's also called the Lake of Guinness. I can't pronounce Gennesaret, which I can't pronounce. Lake of Gennesaret. All right. But it's a huge area. We think lake, and we think it's a small little area where we can fish on and you go ice skating on. It's actually bigger than Jefferson Hills. And I think I wrote down it's, uh, yeah, eight miles wide. And I think it's like 16 or 17 miles long, 13 miles long, eight miles wide. Huge area. And because it was so big, right, when winds came and blew over that area, there would be storms on this lake. And ships that were out fishing would crash, and people would lose their lives and their livelihoods. And that happened periodically. And I don't know about you, but in the sailor fishing boating arena, there were superstitions. So a lot of superstitions were formed around this whole Sea of Galilee, which gives some background into why these guys were scared. Because it says in the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 a.m., so imagine you're out there on the sea at 3 a.m., Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is the spirit, and they cried out for fear. This language doesn't do it justice. They literally cried out like little girls, no offense, honey, or like when I see a spider. But they, 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 because there are only two options. Either we're having a mass delusion, right? But then if I see this and you see this and you see this and all of us see this, it's not a mass delusion, then it's some spirit because no human can walk on water. So they started freaking out and screaming, which you can imagine what you would do. Imagine, take it to another level, uh, if you're flying in a plane, you look out the window, and there's someone out there waving to you that's not wearing a cape and a big giant S. You'd probably start freaking out. And you'd be asking, do other people see this? So they started crying out for fear. But straight away, Jesus spoke unto them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And the good cheer, it's not most people interpret it uh, into being courageous. It's not. It means have courage, but not the courage we think of like be strong and fearful, but be encouraged. Jesus' response to them freaking out was, hey, be encouraged because I'm here. Now, also what we're going to read in a minute is there was a storm going on. So they're freaking out. There's a storm. Here comes someone walking on the water. They think it's a spirit. They start like, I must be losing my mind or we're being haunted. Jesus says, no, be encouraged. It's me. God has just shown up. And then this, he says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now, Peter, a little bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? adventurous than most, said, God, if it is you, 
equip me to do what you're doing. Now, John, the Apostle John, who's also in the boat with them, later in 1 John, one of the things he writes to the church is try every spirit to see if it is of God. And this is what Peter is doing here, and John is probably looking back on something like this, because here's a spiritual being, it's talking to you, it's telling you it's God, and Peter says, hey, if it is you, this is really Jesus, equip me to do what you are doing. And then he said, come, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And I think it's amazing because with one word, he didn't have to, he didn't have to like uh, come over and touch him. He didn't have to heal him. With one word, he called him to do something and he equipped him to do something that could only be done by the power of God. Just one word. He said, come. And most of us think that, you know, they were probably in a, like a little rowboat, which is what we imagine, imagine. But this was a huge enough boat that he had to come down out of the boat. Twelve people on it, probably some other people, equipment, fishing gear, all that stuff. This was no minor little rowboat. And in verse 31, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to seek, sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now, think about this for a minute, because God has just called Peter. Peter is kind of not challenged, but for lack of a better term, challenged God. Hey, God, if this is you, this is you, then equip me to do what you're doing. And then Jesus says, come. Calls him to do it, equips him to do it. He steps out, and he starts walking towards Jesus, which is an amazing thing. There's a storm going on. There's some spiritual being in front of you, but you're stepping out. You've overcome your fear to do this thing that God said, yeah, come, come do this. But when he saw the winds from this storm, he became afraid again. And there are so many sermons about this passage that speak to the fact that when his eyes on Jesus, no fear. Storm is still there, not afraid. When he took his eyes off of Jesus to look at what he was facing, his fear came back. Now, think about this. Jesus didn't pull away from him the ability to walk on water. Jesus didn't suddenly say, okay, you're looking at the storm now. I'm going to remove the ability that you had to walk on water. The only thing that caused Peter to sink was his fear came back when he saw what he was confronting. And a lot of times when we're afraid of things, especially when it comes to things that God has called us to do, it's not like God has suddenly removed the capability for us to overcome fear. We're told God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But we look at what we're facing, and even though God has called us to do it and equipped us to do it, we say, I can't do that. And in our minds, we stop being able to do this thing that God has called and equipped us to do. And it says, immediately... Jesus stretched forth his hand, and he caught him, and he said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? From the perspective of Jesus, you're not sinking because I pulled away the ability for you to walk on water. You're sinking because of your doubt and because of your lack of faith. And in a complete Jewish Bible version, 
It uses a little bit of different language because in the Aramaic, translated to English, this is what he would have heard Jesus said to him, such little trust. Why did you doubt? You didn't trust. Even though you were already doing it, you didn't trust that I can continue to allow you to do it despite what you saw you were up against. And every single time when we're fearful with something, it's because of a lack of trust. Because the opposite of fear isn't courage. Courage is the ability to move forward while you're still afraid. That's courageous. I'm still afraid. When soldiers go out, hey, I'm afraid I might die. I'm still going on. When firemen go out and, hey, you know what? I, I could get burned. My life is at stake. They still go, that's courageous. Definitely should be rewarded and appreciated. But the opposite of fear is trust. Because fear is based on what I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Racism is about, I don't know about that race. A political fear, I don't know what that party is going to do. Fear is always about what I don't know. But trust is about what we do know. It's about what we do understand. So when God is trying to equip us to overcome fear and to overcome trust, he equips us with the only thing he can so that we never, ever have to doubt what God is capable of, his Holy Spirit. When we have God's Holy Spirit, we don't have to wonder, is God able or is God, uh, have the, does God have the ability to do this? Because now we're not working on what we don't know, but we're working on what we do know, not because we have knowledge, but because the Spirit of God has knowledge. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says this in verse 11, says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So he says, hey, just like, I mean, truth be told, a lot of us in here married or been in relationships and we think we know our spouses. We don't. We don't know them as good. I mean, we've, I, I've been married 15 years, still trying to learn more about Christy. You guys have been married a long time, still learning about. It, it, it's an ongoing process, trying to learn about our spouse. We will never understand our kids. That's just a given. But it's an ongoing process. But we know ourselves. Paul says the same is true about God. The Spirit of God knows intimately all there is to know about God. But then he goes on and he says this, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And previously, you know, we always talk about God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's forgiveness. I really didn't understand the concept of grace. I have a better understanding of it because I have God's Holy Spirit in me. I didn't understand the concept of unconditional love. It doesn't really make sense on a human level to just love someone, people who hate you, people who do mean things to you, people who talk about you, to forgive people over and over and over again. That makes no sense. But when you have God's Holy Spirit, then you have a better way to understand it from God's perspective, why he does pour out his grace, why he does pour out his love why he sent his son to die in our place so that we can receive forgiveness. Why would he do that? It doesn't make sense. But when you have God's spirit, yeah, now I understand it. So when you have God's Holy Spirit, you're able to trust God in a way that maybe we haven't been able to trust him before. And Jesus explains why it is that God gave us his Holy Spirit. 
In the Gospel of Luke, he explains it in other places as well, but in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, it says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And, and this is a common Jewish communication technique to say, which of you would do this, and to point to something of value or lesser value, and then talk about something else. He says, which of you would do this for your sons? If they were, and obviously he's talking about hungry. If they ask for fish, you're going to give them a snake. If they ask for an egg, you're going to give them a scorpion. Actually, while I was writing this out, I was thinking, I could see Jake doing that to his kids. <laughs> They're hungry, and he's like, just stabbing a snake. Here you go. But anyway. And I would eat it too. But uh, the, the idea is we would give them what they want and more. We want, we want them to be equipped. We want them to have. So we would give them what they want and more. And then he says this, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he's doing two powerful things. One is he's telling these Israelite people that, hey, God is like a father to you. Because that's not how they saw God. They saw God as this awesome God who we worship, but not who we relate to and have relationship with. And he's like, God is not just this God in the sky that you worship and you give sacrifices to. He wants relationship with you. God sees you as a father. And he wants to do good things for you just like you want to do for your children. And then he tells them that God gives us the Holy Spirit because their concept was the only time the Holy Spirit is going to come is one, God sends a prophet to point to the Messiah, or two, the Holy Spirit will come through the Messiah. And he's reiterating, yeah, that's going to happen now. That's what God wants to do to you. And that's what God wants to do for you. Because God is our Heavenly Father, and he loves us, and he wants good things for us, just like we want for our children. He gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can know him in a way that we weren't able to know him before. And if we know him, then we can trust him. And if we trust him, we shouldn't have any fear. Because God, like any good father, he pre prepares and equips his children by giving them his Holy Spirit so that we can know him and so that we can trust him. And if we have God's Holy Spirit, rather than being afraid to pray out loud, we should have no problem praying out loud. Now, I'm not saying that you go and you, you commandeer a corner. I'm not talking about with a bullhorn thing. Oh, God, blah, blah, and, and all that stuff. Whole different thing. I'm just saying about when you're at a restaurant or you're out with someone you know and, and, and they say, pray for me. Or, uh, and I love, and I haven't done this in a while, uh, a long time. Uh, it's a thing that uh, Rachel actually used to do whenever we went out to eat as a group at a restaurant. After we all gave our order to the waitress, before the waitress or waiter walked away, she would say, hold on, um, don't mean to offend you, but we're getting ready to pray for our food. Is there anything that we can pray for for you? And every single time, the waiter or waitress was shocked. You could see it on their face. But every single time, and I don't know the religious disposition or whatever, every single time they would say, yeah, um, and they would share something, can you pray for this? Sometimes it was a minimal thing like, yeah, pray that, you know, the rest of my shift goes easy. Sometimes it was a hardcore like, yeah, my mom's not doing too well. Or my relationship isn't going too great. Or this, or this, or this. And then as, as, as we bowed our heads, we would pray. They would usually walk away. They wouldn't stay and join us. They would walk away. But then we would pray. Here's the other thing, and I wanted to share this with you. This past Wednesday, 
uh, was what's called see you at the poll. How many of you guys have heard of that, see you at the poll? It's where they tell students um, they're encouraged one day a year, gather around the flagpole and pray for other students. Uh, they, they, it's, it's not like, oh, go grab all the unchurched folks. It's just those who want to come together, gather around the flagpole and pray. And um, I, I saw this picture, and the reason it says plus 64 is there were 60-some-odd, I don't remember the total, and there may have been more at pictures added after this, 60-some-odd uh, different schools and school districts all over the Pittsburgh area where students got together and prayed. And I remember there was this one picture that, that not viral, but went semi-viral locally, uh, of one student by himself, at the flagpole, praying. And people were like, wow, that's just awesome. And, and the person uh, who, I don't want to say made it go viral, but who responded to it did so because she kept getting emails and texts saying, you got to check out this picture, you got to check out this picture, you got to check out this picture, you got to go back on Facebook. Because she is like, you know what, Facebook too volatile, I'm logging off, taking a couple of weeks off. And so she went back into her account and looked. She was shocked because it was her son. It was the lone student that was by the flagpole praying. And I got to say, for me, I was a little shocked. Can't, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but just didn't see any pictures from anywhere in the West Jefferson Hill School District from any students gathering to pray. And for those who are asking, hey, yeah, I would, I, I, there's, there's churches all over this place. There are small groups all over this place, youth groups all over this place. And maybe it was because of fear that none of those kids felt like, yeah, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to pray. And I don't know, like I said, they may have added pictures later, and, and maybe they did. But when you have God's Holy Spirit, it helps overcome that fear. You don't mind praying in public. You don't mind praying in private. You don't mind praying um, um, for things uh, the Bible tells us even when we don't know what to pray for because God's Holy Spirit does that for us. And when you have God's Holy Spirit, you're not worried about inviting people to Sunday celebrations. And like I said, we're going to do this outreach thing, and it's not going to push us to invite people to church because that's just not how I feel. It's going to push us to get to know people and share our lives with them if part of our life is, hey, I'm a Christ follower and I love the Lord, that's great. And if they're not okay with that, that's great too. But still to get to know our neighbors and people in our community and share our lives with them. And then when God opens those doors, when you have God's Holy Spirit, you'll be able to share the gospel. You won't have to worry about, uh, let me bring you to church so that the pastor can share what the gospel is. She'll be able to just say, here's, here's what God has done in my life. And here's what I believe. And that was one of the things I didn't understand before. And as the band comes up, I'm going to close with this quick thing. Because when I was uh, living in New York City, high school, uh, was a street messenger. Um, I would deliver, because you know, now they have Federal Express and all that stuff. I would deliver like contracts to musicians and businesses and all that kind of stuff. So they used to use messengers to get it there quick. And I got stopped on the street one time by this street preacher who shared the gospel and it kind of made a little bit of sense like oh yeah I don't, I don't yeah sounds that sounds reasonable he's like would you like god to become your lord and savior 
would you like to accept Jesus Christ? I was like, what do you mean by that? And he went into a little bit more detail, and I was like, wow, yeah. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know if God exists. I definitely want to know him. And he said, well, just come around the corner with me, and we'll pray. And I was like, this is New York. I'm not going around the corner with anybody. And my fear kicked in and said, I'm not doing that. But when you have God's Holy Spirit, you'll be able to share the gospel. Hopefully not in a way that makes people afraid. But to point them towards Jesus, to share with them the love that he brings, to share with them the grace that he brings, to share with them the only, uh, that only through his name, uh, the Bible tells us that it is only through one name, the name of Jesus Christ, that people can experience salvation and the unconditional love of God. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, God. We just, again, pray that as we go through this series, and maybe even right now, that you would start to strip away those layers of fear that we have to doing the things that you have called us to do. We pray that, again, as we said, that you would give us the opposite of fear, that trust and that peace that comes through you and the power of your Holy Spirit. And allow us to boldly proclaim the name of your son, Jesus Christ, to people in our circles of influence. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen.